the Espionage Project podcast, episode number three, The Revenge with Ivan. Part one. Ivan had been back in the country for about six weeks, all of it in a safe house being debriefed by a joint NIS and foreign intelligence team with a couple of national police types who would read in. They had to slow down the process. After a couple of days where Ivan was a little hesitant, he all of a sudden just exploded with information. The debrief team was expanded and began to work in shifts, with each team taking on specific topics or targets. Dennis liked all the context stuff with tactics and the overall theme of the Russian efforts, but what he wanted was any other assets Ivan was running or knew about. He talked a lot, but was still guarded and would make everyone work for it. It was like he was ensuring he always had some insurance, a guarantee of his worth and the future he wanted to be assured of. Dennis made sure his team members were on the teams that other assets were being discussed. That was the money shot. FIS was very happy as they were getting a lot of information on who was in charge of the efforts in country. It was very interesting. Every two weeks, Dennis Goulding, Franks from FIS and Works from National Police, met to discuss process and where things were going. There was a great treasure trove, so everyone got along. Everyone wanted a joint win, so things were good. Surprisingly so. Dennis and Goulding were heading into one of the bi-weekly meetings. Everyone sat down, and a senior NIS briefing officer quickly passed around a status report and got ready for the questions or suggestions that were bound to follow. The briefer read over a brief synopsis. Over the last two weeks, one team has been concentrating on the hierarchy of the group that controlled Ivan and some of his cohorts. We are getting some interesting information which our allies will find interesting. This information is going to be serious currency. There was some nodding around the table. Keeping the allies happy was very important. Team 2 was discussing two assets with Ivan which he assured were current and active. Number 1 was a member of parliament who had been principal secretary to several low-level cabinet ministers in the past government. This was going to be a political nightmare for the service. Their government overlords were going to have to get be convinced that this was the real deal. Although the MP was a member of the opposition, moving against an MP was an optical nightmare. Number two was a senior lawyer attached to the external affairs ministry in a policy cell that senior ministers relied heavily on. Dennis's mind was racing. They had to get on these people right away. Good targets who had some serious access. After another hour and a half of diminishing levels of importance, Dennis was good to go. When Dennis got back to the office, he called an impromptu team meeting. Their job was to run down the assets. The team had already received the bi-weekly report, so they knew what was at hand. As part of the package received from the briefers was how Ivan had communicated with these two assets. Ivan had not been dealing with them in some time, but as with Julie from Justice, these weren't real spooks, and as shown before, hopefully they could hotwire a line of communications. First things first, put these folks under surveillance. C2 was out of the country again, so regular teams would have to suffice. That sounded bad. The in-country surveillance teams were so good. Perhaps the team was just getting greedy. So Rod liaisoned with the teams. It was obvious that Goulding or above had already told senior management across the organization that this investigation had top billing. 
the team was going to be given everything they needed, within reason, to do this. Part 2. The team on MP Tom Kelp were having an easy time of it. Kelp used the car service for MPs all the time, and all those vehicles were tracked for security, so it was easy to follow him and to go back in time to see where he had been using the service. And like a lot of MPs, his public schedule was, well, public. The lawyer from External Affairs was a different matter. Unless you knew her, you would never know who she was or what she did. She had pretty high security clearance, so how to solve Vanessa Toms? The team looked into who Vanessa worked with. One name stood out. Jill Engel was an executive assistant in Vanessa's office. She provided support to Vanessa and a small group of professionals, lawyers and policy type people. Jill had done a lateral with NIS about two years ago, as an executive assistant to the Deputy Director of Policy for NIS. She had done well, but decided to return to external affairs after the lateral, despite being offered a spot at NIS. Not sure why. So Dennis went to Goulding. Then the two of them went to speak to Deputy Director Everett about Jill. Everett was on board immediately. The idea of facilitating something operational was all it took. So while both Kelp and Vanessa were under physical surveillance, Everett would meet up with Jill and bring her on board. A letter co-signed by the Director General of NIS and the Minister of Public Safety would provide Jill with a legal and professional cover for what was asked. Or would it? Apparently Jill and Everett had remained somewhat in touch, so an invitation to come over for a drink was not out of the normal. The invitation was to a safe house not far from the External Affairs main building. Two days later, Jill knocked at the door of the safe house and was let in by Everett. She was led into the sitting room where Dennis, Goulding, and Rod were sitting. She was startled but was assured by Everett everything was okay. Jill recognized Goulding and thought she recognized Rod from her time in NIS. Everett explained the situation after advising her everything discussed was protected by the Official Secrets Act. After hearing the situation, Jill had a questioning look on her face. Her question, What do you want from me? Dennis spoke up like a trusted uncle. We just want you to report back to us on comings and goings. And do you have access to Vanessa's cell phone? Yes, twice a week she attends a confidential meeting in the clean room, and as such she and others leave their phones on my desk in a basket as per procedure. No devices allowed. Vanessa actually leaves her purse with me as well. I put it in my bottom drawer for her. Does she have a second phone? Not sure. There is one task we need you to do. It's technical, but simple, and will assist us greatly. Tony from Tech Support is in the next room, and she will walk you through what to do. But please, if at any time you feel uncomfortable, let us know. We are here to protect and support you, and we appreciate your helping us with this. Jill nodded, and Tony came in the room. Tony was good with people, and as such, she fit the bill in this situation the best. Usually, tech types don't have to deal with subjects, but this situation was different. Tony brought out what looked like a USB stick with a series of plugs to fit most cell phones. Tony held it in her hand and gently told Jill what it was for. She then gently put it in Jill's hand and they discussed how to use it. While this was going on, everyone else except for Rod and Everett left the room silently. So I use this on her official phone? Yes, and if there is a second phone in her purse, do the same thing. Do you feel comfortable with that? I guess so. If it is important, it is. Okay then. At that point, Rod asked for Jill's phone and entered his contact info into the phone. 
When you are done with the install, just text me and we will make arrangements to meet and talk about it and I will get the device off you. Okay, so you want me to do this as soon as possible? First opportunity if it is safe to do so. And you can contact me at any time with any other questions or concerns. We are all in this together. And we can arrange for a meet here at any time. Okay? Okay. And with that, everyone was off. Part 3. So Lisa had been looking after the kelp's technical setup. An entry team had broken into his flat in the capital to do an install, and another team in his hometown had done the same with his house. He was single, had no pets, but it was a small town, so the team was worried that they stood out, so they did it at night very quickly. Even then, at one point, a neighbor walked by looking around. Wow, neighborhood watch on steroids around this place. Everyone knew everyone. Right afterwards, the team got out of Dodge. The only blind spot was his parliament office. It was a no-go area unless the Speaker of the House agreed, even with a warrant. The Speaker would defer to counsel, and that would start a series of consultations which brought too many people into the know. One thing that was interesting is that Kelp jumped in and out of his office a lot, took quick walks around the downtown, and just didn't keep still. The teams on him were working really hard. It was decided to change up everything all the time, both people and vehicles. They were listening to his personal cell phone, but not his MP one. That was taboo as well. They could probably get away with it legally, but there would be a backlash from the MPs as a whole if it got out. Not the group you wanted to get mad at you if you didn't have to. They would reassess later. On day three of the surveillance, Vanessa's official phone and second phone made an automatic upload to NIS. Jill had done it. She had inserted the device into both phones, causing them to upload right away with a daily upload going forward. Later that day, Jill texted Rod for a meet. They met at the safe house and Jill handed back the device. She seemed relieved to give it back. Her and Rod spoke for about half an hour and she seemed squared away. Antonio started analyzing both phones in conjunction with the phone records now for both phones. Right away, something jumped out on Vanessa's second phone. The number showed someone by the name Walter in her address book. They exchanged texts all the time. They were in some sort of code or slang. The amount of traffic had been increasing over the last three weeks. What was that? Antonio brought the info to Dennis. Dennis realized. The Minister of External Affairs was visiting Washington in a week to meet with his counterpart from the U.S., along with a number of ministers from Europe, about European concerns with Russia. Shit. Meanwhile, the team on Kelp struck gold. They watched him do a brush pass with Nick from the embassy. WTF. The team had split and took away both parties from the meet. Kelp took a long route back to his office, while Nick undertook a two-hour counter-surveillance run ending up at the embassy. The team on Vanessa took her away from the office on a one-hour roundabout walk, ending up in a crowded bar in the downtown area. The team managed to get two operators into the bar while they watched a nondescript guy sit down with her. There was a brief conversation after which there was a handshake. The one operator saw that there was a small piece of paper exchanged. What was going on? The team split and the nondescript guy was followed on a two-hour counter-surveillance run back to an apartment on the south side of town. 10 minutes from the airport. This must be Walter. A couple hours later, Dennis Goulding sat down with the Director General. Everett was there as well. The synopsis was this. Both targets had met with actors. The one, a member of the Russian diplomatic community, known as an intelligence officer, and the other what appears to be an illegal operative of an unknown origin. In both cases, a handover took place. There is an important meeting in Washington coming up and Vanessa would have some knowledge of the country's position. 
information just received from a former member of NIS, Bill, who worked with the Justice Minister. Apparently, the Justice Minister was advised of the situation and assigned Bill to sort it out. Kelp sat in on a closed session put on by the External Affairs Ministry to keep MPs aware of current events. Kelp's brush pass took place just after that closed session. It was quite apparent to all present that there wasn't a lot of time to let this run out. This had to end quickly. According to Bill, Kep was invited to a more detailed discussion the next morning at 10 a.m. Part 4 The team on the nondescript guy, Walter, was in high gear. He was taken away from his apartment to a nearby grocery store. An entry team broke into his flat and quickly installed several devices and took a quick look around. Nothing was obvious. They found a laptop and did a quick download. He might notice or have something installed to detect, but there was no time to be subtle. They got out just before he got home. It was close. So while both Nick and Walter were down for the night, the discussions took place. In the end, the Director General spoke with both the Prime Minister and the Justice Minister about the plan. They weren't happy, but appreciated the situation. Inspector Works and his people were brought into the picture. The next morning, Kelp attended the meeting as planned. Immediately afterwards, he texted a number with what looked like gibberish content. With that, he jumped outside with a national police team in tow. Dennis Works and Rod were nearby waiting for what seemed to be a train wreck about to happen. Kelp walked around for about an hour before setting a course on the main street. An NIS team had been on Nick for about two hours. They had picked him up at the embassy. He was being super cautious. Both Nick and Kelp were on the main street walking towards each other. Kelp was seen to remove a crumpled piece of paper from his jacket pocket and held it in his right hand. They were about 10 feet apart when the National Police jumped from everywhere. Kelp was grabbed and arrested for espionage. In his right hand, notes about the government's position regarding the upcoming talks. Dennis and Rod stopped Nick. A National Police officer stood there with a small video camera running. Counselor, can we help you? You can't hold me. I have diplomatic immunity. Why would you need that? Would you be willing to come with us for a chat at which time we could confirm your diplomatic status? With that, Nick had to bring out his diplomatic passport. There was a crowd gathering, very interested in what was going on. Karen Billings from the Ministry of External Affairs exited a national police car and approached. Counselor, it has been brought to our attention. You may be conducting activities not in accordance to your position here. Let me call your ambassador. With that, Billings speed dialed the number. The ambassador, please. It's Karen Billings, Assistant Deputy Minister for External Affairs. It is quite urgent. I will hold. She waited and then listened to someone, then hung up. Apparently, the ambassador cannot speak to me at this time. I have here a letter signed by the minister. You have 24 hours to leave the country, sir. She handed over the letter and left. Dennis, time is ticking. With that, Nick turned around, grabbed a cab and left with a team following him. Part 5 Kelp was transported to National Police Headquarters where he was put in an interview room. He was not happy. He wanted to talk to the leader of the party, the Prime Minister, and then finally, his lawyer. So Mr. Terry was his lawyer. Big surprise, the table was now set. Works and Dennis would do the interview. Mr. Terry at first made a big complaint. My client is an elected member of Parliament, and the inference by the security services and the National Police is an affront to his role in a free and democratic society. There is no situation where a member should have to sit and be interrogated by secret organs of the state. This is an unacceptable situation. Works. Mr. Kelp, you've been arrested for espionage, 
under the Official Secrets Act. And there is also a concern of not reporting contact with a foreign representative as required by a Member of Parliament holding office. Kelp looked nervous. Terry seemed keen. Works. I'm showing you a copy of your oath of office dated September 7th, 2015, and a more recent one dated September 10th, 2019. Do you recognize these documents? No comment. I am also showing you security documents you initialed on both of those dates. Do you recognize them? No comment. I take you to page 17, paragraph 3 in both documents, where it states that members must report any contact with a foreign diplomat to the Minister of External Affairs. Do you remember initialing this document? No comment. What, if anything, can you tell me about the person in this photo? Work showed a picture of Nick. No comment. I am showing you a video of the two of you yesterday exchanging what appears to be a piece of paper and what we call a brush past. Is there anything you can tell me about this exchange? No comment. I am showing you your personal cell phone records showing a text with gibberish content just before the brush pass with our Russian gentleman yesterday and again today just before your arrest. Is there anything you can tell me about the contents of those texts? No comment. I am showing you a copy of a piece of paper that was located on your person today at the time of your arrest. What, if anything, can you tell me about this document? No comment. Did you attend briefings both yesterday and today on the upcoming meeting between the Minister of External Affairs and their counterparts upcoming in Washington? No comment. Have you informed the Minister of External Affairs about your meetings with this Russian gentleman? No comment. Mr. Kelp, have you been passing on information to the Russians? No comment. Mr. Terry, I would like a moment to confer with my client. With that, Dennison Works left the room. Fifteen minutes later, Dennison Works returned. Mr. Terry, this situation is intolerable and I would like my client released. Works. What is going to happen in this moment? We would like your client's side of things, if possible. Terry, it's not going to happen. With that, Dennison Works went to a conference room where Goulding and Betty Smith sat. Betty had watched the exchange and had read over the notes and copies of the videos and stills from the surveillance operation. A copy of today's note was also present. Betty thought for a couple of minutes. Let's put him on police bail to return in four weeks. He must surrender his passport and not leave the National Capital Region. Have him report daily, Monday to Friday, here as well, between 9 a.m. and noon. Everyone else nodded. Philip Terry was livid, but when the alternative being detention, he advised his client to agree. Kelp left unhappy. He was even more unhappy when he found the press outside taking video pictures and yelling questions. Much of the arrest and confrontation with Nick present had been recorded on dozens of phones and was getting some serious hits on the internet. Part 6 The next morning, an NIS team was on Kelp. He was holed up in his apartment going nowhere. He was quiet and off his phone. He knew NIS and the National Police were all over him. Walter was observed leaving his apartment and beginning what would turn out to be a two-hour counter-surveillance run. A national police team was on him. Vanessa was observed leaving her house with an NIS team in tow, with a national police backup team hanging around. She didn't go to work, but rather, she began a nervous walk around. She walked for about an hour, ending up sitting on a bench in a park near the National Theatre. She held her bag close on her lap and was looking around very nervously. Dennis Roddenworks were hanging back with the national police crew, Jill had reached out about an hour ago to say that an important confidential email had gone out to a small group of staff working on the government's position for the upcoming talks. The email contained a final memo laying out strategy, positions, and expectations. Jill had actually sent out an email with a receipt option on the transmission. 
Everyone had received the email, and Vanessa was one of the people that had opened the memo, even though she hadn't gone into the office. Jill had checked Vanessa's office, and her work laptop was not present. The email and the attachment had been classified as secret. Works had received a warrant to search Vanessa's office and home address. He sent a message to a team waiting near her home to execute the warrant and look at the laptop. The team entered the home and located the laptop on the dining room table. A printer was standing on the table nearby. A tech type entered a generic government login to the laptop to access it. He checked the print functions and it located the last printout. It was the memo Jill had described. Both the NIS surveillance team and National Police backup team was advised of the situation about the memo. Ten minutes later, Walter was observed entering the park. He did three circuits of the park in a professional-looking counter-surveillance run. He then sat down beside Vanessa. They exchanged what looked like pleasantries. Vanessa was observed pushing a brown manila envelope across the bench to Walter. He then pushed a letter-sized white envelope back to her. With that, Walter tipped his hat and began to move. The national police types popped out of everywhere and arrested both Walter and Vanessa at gunpoint. They were quickly searched and both envelopes were located. The memo and a wad of cash. Walter was handcuffed and as he was being led away, a shot could be heard. Walter collapsed with a lethal wound to the head. Panic broke out as members of the public scattered. The tactical channel exploded as the shooter was observed running out of the park by the surveillance team. He was observed dumping a carbine in the bushes as he ran across the main road. He had a handgun and popped off two quick rounds at a uniformed police car, responding to frantic 911 calls about the takedown and shot fired. The police car screeched to a halt. An NIS surveillance operative driving from the opposite direction struck the shooter, sending him flying over the hood of the car. The shooter was grabbed by the NIS operative and two National Police plainclothes officer. The shooter was hurt, but still conscious. Vanessa was quickly taken to National Police headquarters, very shaken. She was placed in an interview room and looked at by the police doctor who declared her healthy, but shaken. Duty counsel was called to speak to her. The shooter was taken under heavy guard to the hospital. He would survive. He had a fake German passport, and you guessed it, with a fake name. Who knows who he really was? Dennis and Works entered the interview room where Vanessa sat with her lawyer for questioning. After being reminded of her rights, Works started off. You understand your rights and the charges? Yes. Are you willing to answer questions relating to those charges? There was a pause. Yes. Tell us everything. With that, Vanessa talked about how she'd gotten into debt going to school. She did so well that she went on to get a master's, which just mounted the debt. She worked for the government in an expensive city, and she just couldn't get anywhere. She couldn't go on any good holidays, and she started to feel bad about herself. She had met Walter, who had taken her under his wing. At first, she thought he was a lobbyist for an international computer company. One thing led to another, and she eventually realized what she was doing. She got money, but it was never quite enough to solve her problems so she could walk away. And eventually, they just threatened to expose her. She had become trapped a different and in a more dangerous way. Works then called in another team who started to do a more detailed system of questioning to determine the scope of her spying. Part 7 The shooter was brought to headquarters the next day and charged with the murder of Walter, attempted murder of the police, and illegal possession of two firearms. He wasn't talking. They may never know who he is. Vanessa was charged with espionage but was working out a deal through her lawyer to limit her jail time by cooperating fully. Kelp kept reporting to the National Police every morning. He wasn't happy about it. His political party wasn't wasting any time. As a caucus, they voted him out of the party. All the parties jointly planned a special vote of Parliament to vacate his seat and have a special by-election to elect a new member. 
surprisingly. They were united in this. Kelp was a bit of a problem. The information he passed was not actually designated as secret or top secret. He had already been ejected from his party in Parliament. So what to do with him? Betty Smith and her crew thought long and hard about the issue. And they took some legal advice from a couple of very smart independent members of the criminal law community. In the end, Kelp surrendered to the National Police and was charged with breach of trust under the criminal code. After a couple months of an attempted publicity campaign about how he was being persecuted, which was technically true, he quietly struck a deal and pled guilty, going off into obscurity. Part 8 Dennis and Gouling sat down with Works to talk about next steps. The Russians were reeling. The federal government had ordered Nick out of the country, followed by three others two weeks later to make a point. The Russians then ordered a couple Canadian diplomats home in retaliation. The group decided to put Operation Survey into action. All the information about Ivan and Walter would be analyzed along with the records of every foreigner leaving the country for the next six months. The Russians would be moving people out of harm's way, so it would be important to begin the digging. Not sure what would pop up, but with enough work? Who knows? <laughs>